So I figured I want to talk about the book a little at the beginning. Okay. Um, out of curiosity, did you reread it? Uh, no, <laughs> I had to read another book for work mm. and that got put off. So over the weekend, so I have it in front of me. That helps. Mm. <laughs> I've been trying to refresh my memory via the internet on some of the little bits that I've forgotten. So, you know, keep up as best I can. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, shall we begin? Sure. I am Benjamin Light. And I'm Marco Sparks. And welcome to Headcanon. This week we're going to be talking about Ready Player One, the book and the movie. Mm-hmm. I'd say I have a fair amount of hot takes. I don't know about you. I think the hot takes kind of break down into two categories. And correct me if I'm wrong. There's the whole nostalgia aspect of it. And then there's the uh, nice guy stuff. Um, those, yeah, I'd say I probably have opinions on both of those aspects of it. I think those are like the two big things that are like the the talk pieces of this movie before you get to, you know, the regular movie junk. Okay. Well, um, we're going to talk about the book first for a little while, and then we're going to talk about the movie. If uh, if you care, there will be spoilers. So, you know, do with that information what you will. I mean, I kind of feel like either you want to see this movie, in which case you should probably stop listening, or you're probably never going to see it, so it doesn't matter, you know? Yeah. I mean, I would say see it in the theater if you're going to see it. If you have any kind of inkling, do the best you can to go to the theater and see it. I mean, that's usually my advice in general. I feel like if, I mean, it's, some movies it doesn't matter, but most movies you want to give it its best shot, you know, like if you're going to bother mm-hmm. seeing it anyway. I mean, granted, I have movie pass, so it's very cheap for me. If you don't have it, I can understand why to save your money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they're not getting cheaper. No, it's actually, it's insanely expensive to go to the movies down here in LA. Um, I'm glad I have movie pass. I really hope that service doesn't end because it's like, $16 easy just for like a regular matinee here. Jesus fucking Christ. I know it's insane. I wonder why people don't go to the movies as much anymore. And you have to sit by yourself in a couple seat. Outrageous. Those couple seats are so weird. You know, I saw your tirade on Twitter about it. Tirade. It's just comment. well, whatever. Let me just say, I really appreciate that you and I got to sit in one of those seats to watch love Simon together. Okay. But just imagine if it's, you're going to see Ready Player One, and you're going by yourself, and mm. they only have those seats, so you pick one, and then it's like, who the fuck's going to sit next to you? Like, you're sharing like an armrest or some. I don't know. It's, it's weird. I had to sit next to some fucking Morlocks in Unsane. Uh, they weren't they weren't couple seats, just in general. So I feel I feel your pain about like I would like to choose who's on this love seat next to me. Or just had normal seats. I the normal seats are fine. I had no complaints about them. I don't even really mm-hmm. like the whole recliner thing. I don't find them particularly more comfortable. Shouldn't you be? Shouldn't you be like trying to dissuade people from getting coupley <laughs> during a movie? I don't know. Like, I, I don't need you to fucking snuggle during the movie. You're still in public, asshole. You yeah. don't need to give each other like complimentary HJs in this movie. It's okay. Also, not a fan of the leather chairs. I feel like it just starts to get hot because the leather doesn't breathe. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. I have lots of issues with the the current state of theaters. 
but okay let's talk about ready player one uh you did not read the book recently but you have read it correct i try to remember when i read this i want to say 2012 2013 okay so quite a while ago yeah quite a while ago and it this is a book where i feel like a lot of people have when i see people's personal copy it's not the one cover the red and like yellow cover it's like the fucking like loot crate cover and as much as i don't really like those kind of like geek box the geek box economy like this book and a fucking loot crate makes a lot of fucking sense. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about there. There's a loot crate cover. Yeah, there's like a loot crate cover. Um, it's it's just like artistic drawing of like Wade crawling up the stacks. Hmm, no, I definitely don't have that one. I have the hardcover. Um, you have so the you, red and yellow one? Yeah, so you read this pre-Gamergate, which I think is... Uh, the existence of Gamergate is an important milestone in like the reception of this book, I think, because I think it changed a lot after that. Yeah. Um, because a lot of the things in this book were probably considered more harmless and I don't know, 2010 or 11, whenever it came out. Mm-hmm. And now the, that whole kind of geek culture, gamer culture thing has like a much different flavor, I would say. Based on though, existing ways that male female relationships were, displayed though you know what i mean it's like it's like now after things like gamergate and me too and and just like the last 10 years we've rightly so gone back to some of these things and been like "Ooh, that's not cool well it's not like the whole gamer culture suddenly got horrible you know there was always lurking there but i definitely no, no, think no, no. there was a, a sort of it's, dividing line that happened where yeah that's all of a sudden that it was a much different perspective people had yeah. Well, like I was reading something about one of the old, do you remember those fucking like revenge of the nerds movies? Uh, you know, I never uh, watched those, but I, I'm from what I understand, there's one of them that's just like straight up rape or something. Yeah. And like that's that, right. And that's, the, that's like his like victory is like the girl thinks that she's with her boyfriend and he's like, ha ha. No, that was me with the full on penetration victory for the nerds. And it's like, Ooh, who the fuck cheered this on? Yeah. <laughs> but people did, unfortunately. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think the I think the whole the way people treated each other online pre Gamergate was a festering wound, but it was also indicative of a lot of way interpersonal relationships were. Yeah, uh, I read this book last fall. I guess was the first time I'd read it. I mean, I heard about it, you know, and it was like, oh, it's like a like nerd culture book. You'll love it, whatever. Um, I didn't read it till then. I'll be honest, I enjoyed this book. I know that's probably an unpopular opinion out there among the internet cool kids these days. Um, I understand why. It certainly has flaws, like big notable flaws, but I feel like a lot of the hate this book gets is maybe a little over the top. That's that's my personal opinion. Like The book definitely hmm. has its issues, but I feel like a lot of the people like who are just declaring it like the worst book ever written, Like, I think they're revealing more about themselves perhaps in the game. Um, I mean, part of all, he, he's a classic, like Mr. Nice guy for sure. More so in the movie, I would say even in the book. Um, but I feel Mm -hmm. like the book starts to examine that and then it just kind of forgets after a while. Like the romance in both the book and the movie are frustrating in different ways. Um, but the book, it like, it seems like the author is going somewhere with it. And it's like, Parswell is going to have to learn to, to get over that and like not just think he can be Mr. Nice Guy. 
And then at uh-huh. the end, like it just it's like, no, he's still selfish, but it's OK. You know, I don't know. It's, it's very bizarre how like it seems to be building in act one and act two towards him having this kind of epiphany. Uh, and then he just kind of doesn't have it at the end. It's strange. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the book definitely could have used a more strident editor. I mean, there's there's a lot of little things here and there where you're just like, why didn't the editor just be like, no, you got to lose that. Like the whole passage on masturbation is so fucking cringy. Like, I just, I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's supposed to be some sort of like homage to Cryptonomicon or something, but that whole section is just, it's like, why the hell wasn't an editor? Like, no, you got to lose this. Like, this, no, sorry. Doesn't Ernest Klein just seem like he's like the the weird little brother brought into like a later season of the show in which Neil Stevenson is the star? Stevenson's a lot smarter than Ernest Klein. I mean, that's that's my point. Is yeah. is it's like some some network suit was just like we need the spunky like uh, scrappy kid from the streets who's just all about his cred. We need the poochie for the uh, Gamergate generation, Neil. Well, the, there's a part in the book where. The main character, Wade Parswell, he's like really hit a low point. He's isolated and alone. And he like he's he's also like a like a virgin, obviously. And he he starts looking into like like sex bots, basically. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of makes sense within the book is like this is his low point, you know, and he like he, he looks into it a little bit and then he's just like ashamed and disgusted with himself. Like, I feel like, yeah, that makes sense for a low point for the character. But then to like have like the page long treatise on masturbation is just like, no, just why? Editor, where are you? Get rid of that. Yeah. I think this book was was just steering right into trying to be relatable to a certain subset. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think, is this like the, the, the Lena Dunham conundrum? Can mm. something be satire if it's not intended to be? Like unintentional satire? Yeah. I think that, yes, but that's kind of worse. <laughs> that's embarrassing for an author, don't you think? I don't know. Does it matter, ultimately? Well, like, if you... I mean, I, there's there's a self-own, and then there's a self-satire. I guess I feel like this book was maybe kind of supposed to be a satire, but Ernest Klein lacks the the commitment to it, I guess. Like, I think he, he was having so much fun in the little world that he created that he kind of like took his foot off the gas in terms of satire. Cause I, mm-hmm. I do think there are elements of the book where it seems like, okay, he's, he's kind of poking fun here. He's in on the joke, you know, like I think mm-hmm. a lot of the, the nostalgia references that people complain about in the book are kind of, they're in, they're that way on purpose. Like they usually, the, the heaviest references you get are usually when Parzival's at like a low point. Like, mm-hmm. like mentally. And it's kind of like, oh, look, he's retreating into his references because he has nothing else. Like, I feel like that's kind of communicated. But then at other times, it seems like Klein's just having fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's that's an issue you have when you're riding two horses at the same time. Eventually, I think you got to get in the saddle one for reals. Um, and you, you will probably pick the wrong horse. But going back to the previous thing, I'm, I'm still workshopping this thought. But mm-hmm. I think I'd rather have people either laughing with me or laughing at me. I don't know if I want them doing both at the same time. Hmm, okay. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think the book works fairly well up to a point as satire. I mean, you could you could say that the whole book is kind of like its whole plot is in the structure of like a cheesy 80s 
artifact of pop culture, you know, like it, it hits all the the classic three three act beats of like an eighties movie, and so it's kind of like fractal in that way. Um, but I just I, it's like mm. it's not sharp enough at certain points to really drive home the the satirical element of it. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like there was a really an opportunity within the book and in the movie to kind of deconstruct the whole nice guy thing, and the book just doesn't really get there. The movie just man, the movie's a mess when it comes to the romance, but the book is like, it's building up and it's building up to that point where it's, it, it seems as though Klein is aware that like Parzival and his old nice guy shtick are like, this is not romance, you know? And like, he gets mm-hmm. called out and rejected for it. And so it's like, well, you at least have the self-awareness to have the Artemis character call him out and reject him and cut him off. You know, it's and that all, it's like, you had to have known something to write that, but then you just, I don't know, just forgot about it at the end of the movie and like, she's cool with it eventually. Well, but then to turn it around and, and present it to us as perhaps some of her trepidation was heard actually dealing with her own insecurities is not the way to go. I mean, it could be if it was better written, but yeah. I mean, from Ernest Klein, uh, you know, attempted stand-up comedian who tried his hand at novelisting. I mean, I having read it again very recently, it seems clear in the book that Artemis likes Parzival, but like is much more grounded and not willing to kind of put up with this bullshit. It's not like she like hates him and is just like worn down by him so much as that she likes him, but she sees like really big flaws with him and is like would rather focus on winning. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else do I want to talk about with the book? Um, how did you feel about the, the nostalgia in the book? Uh, I would agree with you that it, it becomes a little much at times. Um, and it's, it's very much, I don't know. It's a weird coat of armor for it. It, it, it kind of reminds me to, to talk in like movie terms, like Nolan does this like line that he straddles between like the meta cinematic and the immersion. And I kind of feel like, uh, Ernest Klein's whole thing is the line between like validation and exclusion. It it reminded me a lot of watching. Uh, oh fuck! I can't believe I forgot this. High Fidelity. Mm. You know <laughs> yeah. where it's like you you know this stuff, and if you don't, you're not in our clique. You're not cool. Go fuck yourself. But it's like obviously we're the disenfranchised, like disenchanted, like hip elite. Uh, and that 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 was a, the overwhelming feeling I eventually started to get. Plus, you know, I think nerd culture is is mainstream culture now but it's like he had to go deeper in a lot like here's this fucking D D thing that only the real like deep core freaks know and yeah i don't know hmm. so yeah it, i suppose i disagree with that I, I disagree with that reading a little bit i guess i feel like the the common criticism from like the internet cool kids of this is like they just complain oh it's just a bunch of lists of stuff I I feel like that is a fundamental misunderstanding of what he's doing. Like, I don't think he's trying to remind you of things so much as like remind you of being like a dorky kid. Like that's the vibe I got is that the the nostalgia stuff was just kind of wallpaper for like, you know, a remembrance of who people were rather than like the things they were into necessarily, Uh, which is why I wonder, like if you're younger, I don't really know how you connected the book in the same way because like, this this book, much like Scott Pilgrim, is like directed so laser sharp at like my age range, like five years older, five years younger. Like I feel like I just I don't know it. 
I connect with it in a different way that I don't imagine somebody like 10 or 15 years younger than me would or older. Because well, I, like, to me, it's all the nostalgia references. They they remind me of being a kid. They remind me of people I knew. I'm not like, oh, yes, family ties. I got that reference. I'm more like in the mindset of remembering being alive in the 80s and remembering a time when being obsessed with nerdy stuff was not cool like it is now and like putting you in that kind of nerd mindset. Hmm. So you don't, you don't think that the, the younger kids who became fans of this book so much care that whether or not they've seen Lady Hawk and or can identify like a 1980s Matthew Broderick movie. It's just that he gets you in the, the, the joy, the carousel ride of the, well, this of is the more, 80s. I mean, I've never seen Lady Hawk. I've never seen War Games. I'm not familiar with most of the anime he references in it, but I remember people who were when I was younger. Like, I feel like that, that sort of nerdery is just like with the internet, it's easy to attain that now. But back in mm-hmm. the day, you know, we both remember like trivia used to have currency when we were teenagers. And mm-hmm. it was, it was just a different feeling about like what you knew and like what people's interests were as opposed to now. And so even though I don't know Lady Hawk, I can I can remember like my sister's boyfriend was like he was into certain types of stuff and was like a big dork. And it's like, oh, yeah, this character kind of reminds me of that guy, you know. So ironic take the movie or the book is better if you actually have had interactions with human beings. <laughs> I think everyone has interactions with human beings. I think some less connection than others. Issue. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I'm kind of know, sad just, in that regard. This book didn't find you like five years ago. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not sure if I would have had any different of a read on it. I mean, it's to me, the, the strength of this book is that it's enjoyable as a, a page turner. Like it has really good structure and pacing, which is harder than people think. Like when they call this like a terribly written book, I feel like they should give a little bit of credit for like the guy at least knows how to move a story along. Um, but yeah, there's definitely lots of cringy stuff in it. And I just keep thinking he needed a, a better and more strident editor kind of to force him on stuff. But I feel like a lot of the complaints about nostalgia are just shallow, I guess. Um, I feel like there is something deeper there, at mm-hmm. least for people in my age range. I don't know. Okay. Any more hot takes? Uh, I think I covered most of it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just I wonder we live in such a different culture now where like being a nerd is cool now in a way it like was not when we were young. I mean, would you agree? Uh, Yes, but I think I think we were on the front lines of those those changes and we didn't realize it. But yeah, I would I would agree. I mean, there was it's just about there was still the struggle between authenticity, though, Mm -hmm. you know. You know, I, I, I know the real shit, the people that the rest of you don't know, I can look down. I have a thing by which I can look down on the rest of you. Yeah. I mean, that's part of it, but I don't think it was all with all about that. I feel like there's this modern conception of just like, oh, it's just a bunch of gatekeeping and like, you know, assholes or like up their own asses. But I do think there was the other side of it where it was just like this shared culture among kind of like outcasts and people who didn't fit in with the cool crowd. It eventually morphed yeah, it into was, something toxic. It was a suit of armor. Yeah. But it wasn't all that, I guess is what I'm saying. Like, I feel like the, the part of all character the version that people saw was the gatekeeping. 
Who saw? I think from the mainstream perspective, even though everyone was going through the same pain, um, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to end it with uh, uh, Buffy's lines to Jonathan from Superstar. No one sees you because they're all dealing with their own shit. I guess that's that's ultimately the the knot I'm trying to untie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree if you read though. I mean, I think on one hand there is there is this perception of gatekeeping, and the outcasts are really just trying to find connection and like you said, a shared a shared culture of their own. Um, it just happened to be, you know, not. It, it happened to be this new thing, this new kind of acceptance of pop culture. Well, I feel like that was something that got more toxic over time. Like it, it started out as just like people who, you know, just congregated around like shared interests. And it, I feel like it wasn't immediately gatekeeping, but it just it built and built and built on its base until you finally got to Gamergate, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And then, you know, somewhere in there along the way too, people become like armchair scholars of all mm-hmm. of this, uh, this deep knowledge. I don't know. I, just, I find it interesting that the same people who love Stranger Things could take such umbrage to the nostalgia in Ready Player One. I mean, is there really that big of a difference? I don't know if Stranger Things calls out like like has lines on uh, lines of dialogue per capita like this one does, but that's kind of the point of this. So mm-hmm. let's just say no. I mean. <laughs> I feel like every decade now there's some attempt, some serious attempt to sell us the eighties back. Um, and I think I was, I was sitting there thinking about this before we recorded, like, why is that? Cause you know, well, it's it was like a the dark time rule. in the world, but it was like super bright. Well, but I mean, it kind of felt like there was an attempt with things like the wedding singer in the late nineties. There was an attempt. Yeah. No, eighties um, definitely. It's like, yeah. Remember back. when, remember the eighties were great. Yeah, so the A's, it's like, oh, we're always trying to bring those back despite the 30-year rule, you know, r- rule with, like, Britpop returning in the 90s. Um, I think part of that, though, is because the 80s were kind of the pinnacle of, like, a shared culture, shared pop culture, where after that, like, we got more and more cable channels, we got the internet. Like, it just, there was no way for everyone to share the same thing as much as it was in the 80s when you had, like, three channels, you know? Like, music videos stopped mattering, um, you know, there's all these niche internet groups you could join to kind of focus on your own personal interests. But it wasn't, I mean, like everyone watched the same shows back then, you know, like everybody probably watched family ties back then. Hmm. I mean, that probably, there had to have been some other kind of unique, and it might be the beginning of like computer culture, but it had to be some other kind of unique connective tissue. Cause I'm sure people were all watching like all in the family back in the seventies. But I don't know. Maybe it was the rise of zines. But yeah, it was some attempt, some I mean, what is, form what is, of trying to find those underground, you know, cultural fight clubs. What does 2010 nostalgia look like? You know, the, the 2010s, like some joke about like Instagram and yeah, like a Snapchat filter. Yeah, like I, I feel like it's not. It, it, there isn't as much of an opportunity for. The like there's there's the surface level stuff, but the 80s, I think there's just a lot more there because it wasn't as fragmented as culture. Oh, I can't wait till like 50 year old Taylor Swift joins in on making fun in movies geared at 2010s culture. I mean, <laughs> I don't want to see Taylor Swift become 
old Madonna. I'll put that way. But I, I do feel like they're. Let me, let me perish out of that joke. Well, let me, let me put it this way. I feel like there are a lot of people out there who probably like they wouldn't get like a Snapchat filter joke. Like that's just not part of their sphere. They're not going to get it in five years. Yeah. I mean, there's there's whole parts of culture out there that like I wouldn't even recognize the references to. It's there's so much now. I feel like you you have a higher hit rate with the 80s just because it wasn't as spread out as it was now. Well, I mean, you know, I went to go see Dunkirk and there's probably some contingent of people listening to this where I discovered uh, what I thought was a, you know, an actor who'd been working for a while named Harry Styles with that movie. And people were like, you don't know who Harry Styles is. And I'm like, should I, I know think, who Harry I Styles he's is? An actor. Well, I mean, he's acted in a movie, so mm. there you go. But like, you know, I'm like, is, was he in a sex scandal? I mean, am I, am I supposed to know who this is? Um, and so some dots had to be connected from a, a group that I'd only heard the name of. So, yeah, I mean, I think we, we do fit in this, the subsets. I mean, a lot of sports shit flies right over my head. I don't, I don't even see it anymore. I, I dance between those raindrops. Mm-hmm. So that's one whole, you know, part of culture that I missed out on. Yeah. Anyway, in conclusion about the novel, I, I wish I could travel back in time and edit this thing and be like, this could be way better. You just, you got to fix this. You got to fix that. You got to fix that. And like, you've got yourself an actual good, you know, satirical book here. But I don't think it's horrible. I enjoyed it. Okay. So let's talk about the movie. Sure. Do you have an opening statement? Uh, yeah, much like that whole thing we just went through. It's probably a little rambly. So, um, I mean, this movie, you know, it's it's a theme park. It's got plot. It's got a lot of references built into its UI. It's got some problematic relationships, but it is just one ride after another, and it's it's fun. It's nerdy. It's meta. Um, I mean, at one point you're hunting for an Easter egg that can only be accessed by finding the first ever Easter egg in a video game. And it's all over the place. It's video game culture. It's movies. It's TV show. It's, it's collective pop culture. I enjoyed just the tsunami of visual ideas uh, moving fast enough that I think you could catch some and others. You you know, it's it's built for repeated viewings. Um, and I thought there was a lot of themes here that did feel kind of relevant because the the movie kind of tries to get away from just the 80s thing to, I guess, sidestep that question of, like, did all culture stop in the 1980s? You know, getting away from just its holidays, you know, fetish decade. But, like, we don't talk about, like, neutrality but virtuality as much in this movie. Um, yeah, I mean, I have, I have a lot more here, but I guess we'll get into the discussion. I just, I thought it was an interesting, somewhere buried in here, the story kind of touches on why we collectively gather around those like fires and tell like pop culture stories and what storytelling gives us. And that part I enjoyed, uh, in, in conclusion, does this movie hurt or help the chances of giving us a proper snow crash adaptation? Hmm. That's my question to you. Well, I mean, the box office has been decent. I, I must admit to a minor amount of shade and fruit after, uh, the movie got better reviews and a better box office than expected. There, there's a whole cadre of people out there who really, really wanted this movie to fail. Uh, sorry, guys. Uh, my opening statement, I enjoyed this movie. I did not love it. Um, I didn't think it was as good as it could have been. Uh, I thought it could have been a lot more. I think the filmmaking is at times amazing, but the script just lets the movie down. I think only Spielberg could have elevated a script this mediocre to the level it gets to. <laughs> But I do kind of wonder if a different director 
would have demanded a better script to begin with. Like somebody who lived 80s pop culture rather than someone who's creating it. Because uh, I think there's a much better film here if the writer wasn't throwing quite so many of the ideas from the book away. Because uh, I think despite the book's flaws, in my opinion, there's a ton of really fertile material there for a much deeper movie than we got. Mm. So, like, if you're the if you're the producer who's, like, going to finally bring this thing home, are you like, let's have an Edgar Wright draft? Yeah, I, I would be curious about that. If if someone like Edgar Wright or maybe Joss Whedon, um, I don't know. I, I feel like he could have perhaps deconstructed things a little more. I mean, that's, you know, Buffy's a classic example of that. Um, I don't want to limit it to those two writers, but I, I do feel like someone a little bit younger and a little more kind of steeped in that culture could have could have mm-hmm. taken it further. Maybe it wouldn't have had the amazing set pieces that Spielberg's create, uh, you know, capable of, but it might have been a better movie. And it's interesting because there's there's the kind of brilliant <laughs> Jenny Nicholson video about uh, Ready Player One, the novel for girls. But like, see, as much as that's a joke, the- I feel like that wouldn't be horrible. Like if somebody did one oh, no. that was more kind of. I mean, the, the big the big criticism, I should say, just from the book and, you know, somewhat the movie of Red Player One is that it is so much this like these are references for if you were a dude in the 80s. Yep. And it, Male centric. Specifically a white dude from America in the 80s, you know, um, whereas I think the movie was an opportunity to expand beyond that. And they did it a little bit, but not really, you know. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> it would it would be weird it'd be interesting it'd be kind of maybe a better movie but it'd be it'd be interesting to get like the donald glover you know draft of this or mm-hmm. or to put it through the filter of someone other than like a, a white dude from the 80s but that's that's what the book is that's i mean the, it, that's it, the story it makes sense because it's all like the obsessions of this like nerdy white programmer from the 80s and so like it, diegetically within mm. the story it's like you have an explanation for it but still i think it would have been more enjoyable to more people if it was a little broader yeah i mean i would totally watch like a ready player two that was like all you know gem and the holograms and care bearers and she-ra you and know artemis. Either, yeah artemis stuff which i feel like in the in the book mm-hmm. especially you she like kind of brings those references into it and you kind of get the feeling that like that's the perspective she's bringing. We just don't get enough of it nearly enough. Mm -hmm. Well, but they, the, you know, she's still part of her, her manic pixie femme fatale nature is that she still, you know, like rides the bike from Akira and and shit like that stuff that like Percival can like covet and and further fetishize. Let's do our top moments. How many top moments you have? I have one honorable mention. I, I mean, these are kind of. Loose. I have two. One of them is kind of a joke. Um, so my my kind of joke one is uh, after the stacks explode and Barzol goes back to his trailer, that tattoo mm-hmm. guy is just seemingly like ducking and crouching behind his chair so he can like rise up right behind him to choke him out. It just it's so goofy. Every I, I've seen this movie a couple times. Every time I see it, like the audience laughs at that part just because it's like, what he was just hiding back there, <laughs> like. And regard, let me just say you you brought a point that I I forgot about from earlier. But like, doesn't this movie almost kind of feel a little bit like um fuck what was the what was the movie that J.J. Abrams did before Super the Star Trek movies? 
Super, Super 8. 8. Doesn't it almost kind of feel like someone someone's doing a, a Spielberg <laughs> homage in a way? Like I'm going to do this, like like as if Spielberg owns the 80s, which he kind of did. Mm-hmm. But like parts of this movie, it's like I can't believe you're doing this, Spielberg. And I don't just mean like the shit where like somebody at ILM snuck in references to Spielberg's movies, you know, against his wishes. I mean, just in general, some of the stuff. It's like you created this shit. It's weird to see you doing it again. He's definitely um, falling back on some. I wouldn't call them cliches, easy, but like just like easy trails that he's already blazed. Easy beats, you know, like the whole like the the door opening and closing at the end, you know, when people keep opening the door to the trailer. Like that's. Yeah. I feel like he's done something just like that in a bunch of movies before. It's like it's like a really easy kind of like movie visual joke, and he's just like mm-hmm. he's just doing it again because it's like oh, I'm just gonna play the hits. Yeah. Uh, my number four moment, essentially my my honorable mention, it's not so much the scene that I like. There was something about the visual in Castle Anorak at the end, where you had the long line of like nameless troops like waiting to play the video game in front of the the TV, which almost looks like the TV from Poltergeist, and they sink in the ice. I just like the way it was lit. Um, I don't know. I, I like visually. I, I just I really like sunk my teeth into like how that looked. Hmm. Okay. Uh, my last honorable mention would be it's a short moment when you're kind of flashing back to Halliday and Morrow when they're first introducing the Oasis and Halliday, he stands up and he's like, Oh, if you mm. all look under your chairs, you won't find anything, but uh, we'll bring some out to you. Like, it's just like a funny moment. I feel like, uh, Mark Rylance really nailed the vibe of, uh, it's a, it's a little bit jobs, but not entirely, but just that kind of like tech tech bro a little bit uh on the spectrum maybe just kind of like out there guy like he just he nails that character which is funny and i might i thought i saw something where i think klein said he was trying to subvert and like how they is supposed to be purposely more wozniak Hmm, okay what in the Uh, book or the game or uh, the, the movie in the in the the book i think he's referring to but he, I mean, he in, did do a draft of the movie in the book he refers to morrow and client as like was and uh jobs so i guess morrow is the jobs yeah i think that's yeah. what he was referring to mm-hmm. um yeah that's a good moment um so number three uh, some of these are super arbitrary i'll admit like but i really enjoyed the stuff with um Artemis buzzing around inside the IOI loyalty center, just like covertly fucking shit up as a drone. I, I think rightfully putting her there and having her do stuff because she's so much more effective at the stuff than I thought the way it presented in the movie was. I, I really enjoyed. Plus, I'm just a huge Olivia Cook fan now. Like, I just I really hope this like leads to her doing other kind of movies. But I enjoyed seeing her as like this like diminutive action figure like in a weird sci-fi jumpsuit <laughs> yeah the jumpsuit suited her well um it is kind of funny in the book both our parts of all and artemis are like you know not traditionally attractive but uh it's a hollywood movie so of course olivia cook's just gorgeous yeah and it's mm-hmm. like oh look at that that port wine stain yeah you're real unattractive now you know uh, my number three would be when artemis and parzival are dancing at the distracted globe um it's just cool visually like a second time through watching it just like seeing how like when when they start dancing to staying alive her dress morphs into like a disco outfit kind of like it's very subtle Mm -hmm. like 
don't know all the spinning around it's i just really like the way it's filmed like it's a visual spectacle you know it in i think a lot of people will go into thinking that the the oasis stuff is like the least Spielbergian, but it's not like it kind of reminded me of the little bit i did watch of the tintin movie where he really in some regards he seems unchained in like things that he's doing with the way he moves the camera i mean the whole whole chase in this um Mm -hmm. in the book that's that's Morrow's birthday party, right? The mm-hmm. I think they should have the, kept that the dance party. But, yeah. Okay. Uh, my number two moment is, I mean, this is not a shock if you know me. It's it's The Shining. It's all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I was very surprised to see this change, and I I enjoyed it because it just seemed so unexpected, and I I kind of like watching Spielberg dip Pitch Perfect, Note Perfect into his friends' movies for a little bit there, and going all Room Two Thirty Seven on us. Um, and then it's it's brief. I mean, like how much just, how much did your asshole pucker when they started playing the music from The Shining? Uh, significantly, mm-hmm. significantly. Well, and and I my theater, I'd say my theater fucking loved this movie. They fucking love this movie. And afterwards, walking out, I heard a lot of people like unironically talking about like, was that what the movie was really like? I've never seen The Shining. <laughs> and I was like. Yeah. That's exactly what it's like. Yeah. Get the fuck away from that elevator, kid. Get out of that away from that bathtub. Yeah. My number two is at the end when Halliday is giving the egg to Parswall. He's kind of like looking around. Uh, a lot of that dialogue is lifted directly from the book, but I'd say the reality is real line is not great, but the rest of it is pretty good. You know, like Mark Rylance, I think, is like re- bringing way more weight to the character than it probably deserves. Um, especially because when you like in a way Halliday is kind of a monster if you think about it but um, that that scene with Halliday like emotionally affecting I would say yeah I mean that scene with old James Halliday and, and little James Halliday in his childhood bedroom it's just you know like it's clear that this is the room in which the Oasis was born I mean, like, I, long I, long before he knew what that could be that scene is, is beautiful I didn't love the whole like like tag for the sequel like who are you if you're not you know like i didn't like that part of it but just when he's like looking around rummaging and for the the egg and talking about how he's like afraid of reality and whatnot like i feel like that and and being glad that parts of all like wouldn't sign the contract like all that part of it i really liked yeah yeah and that's why that's my number one scene i mean uh uh, mark rylance is like this he's almost too good for this movie mm-hmm. in, in sh- these small little doses. And he really ties the holiday character together and makes it worth going on this kind of crazy Wonka esque journey. So yeah, I mean, reality is real, uh, but the rest of it, I, I just thought he was so good in this movie. And it's one of those scenes where it's like Ty Sheridan, which whatever, like just doesn't need to say a whole lot. He just needs to be there to witness this great actor. I feel like, like he, doing he, should a lot. Have, he should have leaned into his, his young, Sean Aston a little bit more, a little more, you know, Chester Copperpot. Like, I feel like there was a, there were some moments there where he could have leaned more into his Mikey, you know, persona, but they, they didn't quite get there with him. You know, who I feel like they're going for with this Ty Sheridan mm-hmm. thing is I feel like Spielberg would have loved to have gotten Disturbia level Shia Beowulf in this role. Uh, you know, I'm just, no, thank you, Shia. No Beowulf for me. Remember, Spielberg was trying to make him happen. Yeah, I wonder how he he feels about that now. I wonder if he regrets it. Anyway, my number one, obviously, the Shining sequence. Um, 
this was the, this to me is the the moment in the film that just it's so much elevated above the rest of the movie that I'm like, why isn't more of the movie like this? Because this is it's like masterful filmmaking. It, it feels like you're watching it. It's like when REM did a cover of U2 that one time and they did one yeah. like it's yeah. just like you're seeing a master director cover another master director's work. Um, it was just incredible. The, the whole like zombie thing when they're jumping around, that was whatever. That was kind of dumb. But like everything up until then, like following H around, you know, mm-hmm. the the hallway, room 237, um, the maze. Like it was the first time I saw it. It's like, holy shit. Like, I can't believe I'm seeing this. Like, it's so good. I mean, I'm sure they were using some archival footage and some like recreated sets and whatnot. But it was incredible. Like, I wish more of the movie was that and rather than because i feel like a lot of this movie is like let's put some easter eggs on like the edges of the frame you know like there's a lot of references like oh if you look over there it's chun Li, you know but like less of that more of like no it's right in the middle of the frame we are doing a pure nostalgic callback you know we're doing the shining here like i feel that the more of the movie is that i think would have been better well and and making that an identifiable landscape much like so the idea of the Oasis is there's this whole cosmology of these different like uh, fandom planets, right? There's mm-hmm. like a fucking Minecraft planet. There's a fucking planet Doom from Voltron or whatever. But it makes so much sense that that The Shining isn't just like an experience some of us share. It's not just a memory of a movie we all saw. It's a fucking place that we can all go in our heads. And the movie is brilliant about going there. It makes me appreciate the good parts and uh, kind of marvel at the the lesser parts of ai so much more mm-hmm. hey i will uh, ride for ai even the ending i love that movie oh that movie is that's perfect and i'll, I'll go as far as to say as if you didn't like the ending you didn't get the movie yeah yeah i mean i i think it's bad when you have to explain to people the ending you know no mm-hmm. those are not aliens yeah um <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I would have loved to seen. I would have loved to seen. Uh, uh, you know, if, if uh, Cooper was alive, to see him. You know, do twenty minutes of a Spielberg movie, like you said. Mm-hmm. Let's have that like split single between these two. Yeah, uh, has some ideas for stuff they could work more on, and get to that later. Uh, let's talk about our complaints. I have a big one. Okay, the romance. It's just horrendous. Mm-hmm. Like it's so. It happens way too fast, and it's like it's in the wrong order, and it. Obviously, it's like you have Olivia Cook in your movie. You do not want to save her for like one scene at the end of the movie because like that's how it plays out in the book. Like he doesn't meet her until mm-hmm. like the end of the book. Mm-hmm. Olivia Cook is great. I fully support putting her in the movie more, but it messes up their whole rhythm for him to meet her that early. Mm-hmm. Like I, I had some ideas of how they could have done it different, but like the way the romance happens, it's like he you know confesses his love she rightfully calls him out and rejects him and tells him he's being an idiot you know and like that's that's good stuff um and then like 10 minutes later he's meeting her in the real world and he's like caressing her face and like they're about to kiss and you're like what the fuck like where we've missed like 30 minutes of scenes that we should have gotten in between here like for this to be even halfway believable as a romance well and on top of it again the the movie is still going with the thing where it's you know this is really just all about her insecurities he's not he's not being a creep he's like being endearing by pushing through her shields but it's like if she wasn't surrounded by like a small army 
of like bodyguards and yeah. like, like converts. You know, I, I would believe that she is just so unused to like human contact that he can like reach her. <sighs> so this is the book. I have a whole thing where it's like he starts off overweight and starts like working out and like shaves to wear his new haptic suit and like get he, some kind of confidence from that. He um, I don't know if confidence would be the right word. He he starts to gain so much weight after she dumps him that he's like not fit in his suit, and so he like he turns on some like gym protocol that like locks him out of the suit until unless he exercises. So he does lose weight eventually. And he like, he, Mm. for his suit, he like his shower, like secretes some sort of like nair or something that like as part of the soap, it like eliminates all body hair because like his suit works better that way, but he has no eyebrows. He looks kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes me wonder if, if he can do that Why everyone doesn't do that, I guess. Yeah. And her defining characteristics are the port wine stain and curvy, right? Mm-hmm. Which, of course, he's he's cool with for cringy reasons. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what else did I not? What did you not like? Uh, the relationship stuff is most of it, and the the I don't remember a lot of this part from the book, but I remember believing in his personal connection to the quest and the knowledge of Paladay. Like there's a reason why he's like more dialed into the real shit, the real knowledge. And I felt like you almost didn't get that out as much. He's, he's yeah. almost kind of a cipher character in this where he's just like, I know all this stuff cause I've, I've read all the books that he's read and I've watched all the movies and it's like, when, well that, that <laughs> like, moment what point did this quest mean something to you? When did that, you pull this sword out of the stone? That moment when Artemis is just like, you know him better than anyone. You're going to solve this. And you're like, what? What, where the fuck is this coming from? She's like, no, no, you need to survive. I'll stay behind. It's like, where, like, no, this is not supported in the text. Um, yeah, totally. Well, I mean, but, but his connection to Kira is like, it makes no sense because it's like, we don't know if he has any experience to draw on other than this bizarre, unrequited crush on. They didn't really set up her being, being like the, the well known, like, like minor celebrity of the Oasis that she is in the book. But yeah, it's essentially his unrequited quest or a crush on her is the thing that dials him into like how Halliday must have felt about Morrow's wife. Yeah, right? well, that, that was something from the book too, like with him being completely obsessed. Like it's kind of established that like he's like he has a ter- terrible personal life in the book. He's basically completely depressed. His life is awful. He's completely thrown himself into this contest. And like he probably would have killed himself by now if he if he didn't have this to focus on, which I feel like it makes you more empathetic towards the character. Whereas this character is just like, eh, it's like it seems not that bad. He's got kind of like a jerky aunt, but she's not that mean, you know, like she's much she's much crueler in the book where like she kind of yells at him. But it's like not totally unjustified because he like he took her stuff, you know, Well, also. Well, her 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 jerky boyfriend isn't even all that bad because yeah. at least they all have a common interest. But in the book, there's like 15 people living in that little trailer <laughs> home. Like there's three people here. It's not terrible. I mean, sure, sleeping on top of the washer and dryer isn't the greatest thing, but it's not the worst thing. Well, I mean, that's one of my one of my complaints about the movie is that it, the world does not feel dystopian enough. Um, that's something dystopia. that's something that's hammered pretty hard in the first few chapters of the book to kind of put you in the mindset of this person where it's and I feel like it's it helps with the satire because he's so obsessed with the 1980s. But it's all 
it's all kind of shallow. It's all because he wants to win this game. And so when he's like feeding all these references to you, I do feel like there's an element of like, you don't really understand or you're, you're not like connecting emotionally with these references, you know, like it's almost like satirizing the, the references the book is spitting out at you by like making it clear that this is a character who's just like, he's like an encyclopedia of this, but he has no personal connection to it, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. I, uh, I was just breezing through the first six pages of chapter 17 from that book, which mm-hmm. is their, their chat sequence. Oh yeah. <sighs> it's, here's the thing. It's super cringy, but like, I don't think it's that unrealistic. I guess I would say like, Oh, can we get real? Can we get, can we get, yeah. can we get deep real here? Mm-hmm. We've probably had cringy chats. Oh like yeah. That, yeah. Back in the day. Ooh, fuck. But I, and that's Ooh. the one thing I feel like some people miss is that, Artemis does like parts of all in the book. It's not like I don't think it's a him wearing her down type of situation. She's like immediately taken with him. She just has different priorities and is a little more grounded than he is. Um, like, and I think that that was clear to me on the reread. It's like this isn't a situation where he's just like you know doing a bunch of eighty stalker behavior and it pays off for him. Like that doesn't pay off for him. She likes him to begin with, and it's is just waiting for him to like grow up basically. Yeah, I mean, for the mystery of women, and women are a mystery, but like, if you're out there, like, you know, just because someone doesn't act on feelings doesn't necessarily mean that the feelings aren't there. It's just, you know, sometimes sometimes you have to solve this quest that will I'm just, free your happy dystopia. I'm just glad I didn't grow up in the age of social media, because I don't know how to handle that. That's the- I guess my... My yeah, seriously. My comment to you earlier was like you setting this back in time to yourself is wouldn't you have loved to have sent five hundred days of summer back in time to yourself at some point? Well, that was my initial reaction to five hundred days of summer was I wish I had seen this movie instead of High Fidelity back when yeah. I saw High Fidelity, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um one, but yeah, the the start of the movie, it's like there's an energy crisis. Everything is fucked. We're all going to die. Overpopulation's just like dominating the world. So we're all going to play this video game until we're dead. Yeah. <laughs> Happy dystopia. One of my other issues with the movie, um, I didn't feel like IOI came off as like evil enough. Like there, there's a real sense of like paranoia and dread in the book. Like they straight up like all, all the high five all makes it in the movie. They don't all make it in the book. Because IOI is like, they're evil and murderous. And I feel like the movie never really captured that. Um, Is it Dido that they killed? Yeah, Dido. Poor Dido. Yeah, he's thrown out a window. Um, And I I feel like the, it's, which is weird because the movie spends a lot more time with Sorrento, probably just because they have Ben Mendelsohn and they want to like give more scenery to you. But I feel like it, it lessened the scariness of IOI. Because IOI, it's like you really feel like if it's like if these guys get caught, they're dead, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, and and other than anime references, I did find the the stuff of Dido interesting in the book, just because it kind of touches on to like some of the the cultural social anxiety issues facing another country, you know. Uh, the whole the um, the missing and the millions, Otaku. yeah. Yeah, uh, the, yeah. The, my problem um, with Dido and Cho, so like it's it's very possible that you might live in a place and never never see other human beings and then eventually succumb to sadness to the point that you take your own life, which is what they fake like a suicide for him, right? They they the throw book. him out the window and it's it's assumed it's a suicide, yeah. But obviously they're yeah. you know culpable. My my problem with Dido and Choto in the book is that 
they're just they're real like Parsifal son. They have no honor. Like it's just like this fucking cliche of Japanese culture that's pretty cringy. Yeah. I think it's supposed to be somewhat like like a cosplay situation because like Shoto doesn't always talk that way. He only like adopts that persona occasionally. But I, I don't think Klein does near the work to kind mm-hmm. of like communicate what's going on there. And it just comes off like this dude's only conception of Japanese people is from like anime, basically. Mm-hmm. And the high five are more they're more like friendly rivals rather than like an actual like click. Oh yeah. Yeah. Which is something I miss in this is that Artemis is like way too eager to like team up. Whereas like yeah. in the book, she's like, I'm going to win. You know, like I don't mm. care if you're mooning over me. Like you're an idiot. That's why I'm going to win. Uh, and like, I don't, th- like part of this. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say my, my last issue. Um, part of part of arc in this is really odd. Like his his kind of dramatic arc is he needs to learn to stop caring about zeroing out and like kind of commit to taking down IOI or something. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel like in the book it's much more about not being selfish. Like that whole scene where they talk about what they would do with the money if they won. Mm-hmm. In the movie, he's just like, I'd get a mansion. It'd be cool. Whereas in the book, their their two perspectives are really interesting. Because in the book, he's like, I would build a giant spaceship like bring a bunch of scientists on board and like get the hell out of here. Like go try to find another planet. Our planet is we used it up. It's toast. It's like, it's very cynical nihilistic view, you know, or it's like nothing is worth saving. We might as well try to start over. Whereas her view is like, I want to end poverty. You know, that's what I would do with the money. And it's like, he needs to arrive at getting to that place by the end of the book where he's not just being selfish and thinking about himself. Whereas in the movie, Mm. it's like, he's learning to, I don't know, risk it all to beat IOI. Like it's just, it doesn't have the, the same narrative heft, you know? Yeah. Well, and that's, that kind of touched my point about her backstory here is if he didn't have shit for brains, I could see this being like the next 40 years of like Trump's America, you know, where it's very corporate mindset, controlling technology, like you're conquering another planet. Uh, like the whole, like the, the corporate debtors prison labor mm-hmm. camps. I can see that being all too real. I wish I mean, they fuck, had, we're heading that way right now. I wish they had used the word indentured in this movie rather than just loyalty center. Cause I feel like they didn't quite communicate what was going on there as well as they could have. The, the depiction of what you're doing when you're in your little tube in the loyalty center seemed dumb to me, just uh, not in the, the context of the movie, but a little bit like, I would think you could design a program who could do some of the shit that they're doing. It made me think back to yeah, it was what like are weird they manual the labor. drummers, the drummers in Diamond Age. Oh, um, yeah. Okay. I, I get that, indentured servitude. <laughs> just doing fucking digital manual labor seems like going to like the fucking Matrix and, and carry rocks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's hell. And in the book, he they he does tech support. You know, like that makes a little more sense. Yeah. Because in the book, it's him. He like he has his his Max Headroom inspired fake persona, but she incurs fake debt to like go undercover into a loyalty center. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad it's her doing the stuff. See, I I am not. Not that I I'll, I'll, I'll tell you my change at the end to kind of explain how it would work around that. But I, I think it would work better with him in there. Well, remind me, what is she doing while he's doing that in the book? Like winning, basically. Um, okay. She she gets ahead of him in the contest. She finds the second gate before him. 
and he he goes in there after it seems like all hope is lost and like ioi has like a shield around the the final gate what do you feel how do you feel about the change like the gate structure in the movie what do you mean i mean the the lack of the because there's a key in the gate in the book and there's just a key in the movie is that what you're talking about or just like the difference? yeah yeah we're like like the, the gates immediately right there once you have the key i think aren't there, you like searching for the gates after you find the key yeah i i think there is an opportunity to keep the key in the gate and compress it a little i, I don't know like I, I i had some different ideas for what they could have done about it i didn't hate it like it makes sense because it's just it's three instead of six, basically, you know, it's like three challenges instead of six. But, um, I feel like there is a way they could have done that better. I mean, they, they totally hand away away the third gate as it is, where it's like, mm-hmm. I, I found it off screen. There you go. Um, as best as you could answer, like with the world, of this movie, would you spend five years doing that same race over and over again? I've seen some complaints that are like, why didn't somebody try to go backwards before like five mm-hmm. years worth of that? Yeah. I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, this is how I would have done that scene. Let me, let me put it this way. Okay. Given the success of the shining sequence, it should have been another specific reference rather than there's going to be like King Kong. Pod racing. I hadn't even thought of that. I was actually going to go Death Star trench run, but pod racing nice. works too. I would have I would have started it out in like uh, Road Warrior, like that's how the race starts, right? Okay, cool. And then you like morph into let's say Pod Racing or Death Star Trench Run. Either one works. I think you could eventually just go right into like Rainbow Road Mario Kart, like original Rainbow Road. And I would end okay, it. Cool, cool. I would end it with the uh, the race down the the main drag in Hill Valley. There, you know, as the clock is striking whatever it strikes in that movie mm. um something like that where it's like now you're in star wars now you're in back to the future now you're in road warrior now you're in mario kart like very specific references rather than like little easter egg references i think i mean i don't know it'd probably been tough to get some of the rights to that but i think that would have worked better than it's just i don't know new york or something yeah and then kong and yeah t-rex shows up yeah I think that would have been that would have had the same type of kind of fun vibe that the shining thing had like to be literally back like racing the lightning and hill valley there or pod racing or something like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're taking it away from as the movie does away from some of the 80s stuff, I mean, your door is open for, you know, non Atari video game shit. Like See, I would have I would have obviously kept it. do a thing where you go play Goldeneye or perfect dark or what have you i would have kept the 80s and 90s personally i don't think you really gain anything from expanding the the range of references there i think it it, you just say holiday is obsessed with the 80s culture and you just stick there like the music in this like there are a couple weird tracks in this where i'm like why did you pick that song like there's one in particular yeah i i didn't love that like that could have been so Other many eighty songs. It seemed, yeah. Well, I was like, "How is this not take on me?" I was like, "How is this not like Billy Jean?" You know, like, um, yeah, yeah. How is take on me not in this movie? That kills me. Yeah. How do you not end this with "I've had the time of my life"? Mm, yeah. Well, like, I want to say there's like a weird rockabilly song playing at one point in the movie that like stood out. Um, 
which is I, even like even the the hollow notes at the very end i was yeah. like you're not hitting the note that you need to be nailing here well, i don't know if you had this reaction and, and I, thought I thought it was... and i thought very good i was gonna say side note uh, because some of made me watch it i watched that jumanji movie yesterday mm. and as that movie was ending i was like how do you not end this movie with a cover of like don't you forget about me which they did like that the like little pastiche poster for this movie for ready player one it's like you you could have even used that that would have made more sense yeah um i thought the ending at the very beginning was odd because jump starts playing but it starts playing when like Amblin entertainment appears on screen, like it's very, it's like of all the places you could have started the music. Why didn't you start it with the cut to, you know, the, the film itself rather than title cards. Like it, it was weird. I was like, that's a, a really odd place to start playing jump. Um, yeah. I can't believe take on me is not in this movie. It drives me insane, especially after they put it in the trailer. Mm-hmm. Take on me, them dancing to that would have been perfect for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Them dancing to Billie Jean and doing the whole like light thing like that. I think that would have worked as well. That you can't really do the you can't really do like the thing from Big, but like Take on Me not just gives you a great song, but you could do like for twenty seconds something from the video. Yeah, because I mean it's it's the Oasis. You could just do it. You know, you could have yeah. them turn into like little video game drawings or not. Video this game, is why I like drawings. Not that I'm complaining specifically, about this, but this is why I personally kind of prefer the Oasis-esque thing from Snow Crash, because it's not so pop culture driven. Though I absolutely get this is what people would bring to something like the Oasis. Well, I think we're supposed to understand. Kind of like there's a whole new culture built into Snow Crash or into that world from itself. Sure, sure. I I think you're supposed to understand, at least in the book, that like it's not like the whole Oasis is obsessed with 80s pop culture. It's just that his, his little little corner his you know, Gunter crew, which is still a stupid name, uh, Gunter, but yeah, his little crew is obsessed with the 80s. How is it not take on me? That, that, that just kills me now. Yeah. That would have been a great song for them to dance to. Mm -hmm. I also, I I do miss that R2D2 was the opening DJ in the book. I just love that detail. I like the idea of R2D2 as a DJ. Um, yeah, I think we talked a little about the 80s references. I just I feel like it would have been better if the references were front and center rather than like Easter egg stuff. Like rather than like there's Tracer Bullet from Overwatch over there and like, oh, there's Blink and you miss it. There's the Ninja Turtles, which they use the Ninja Turtles from those newer movies, which just felt lame to me. Uh, mm-hmm. Like less of that, more more shining type stuff. Like maybe mm-hmm. that was the only way they get the rights is to just say oh, it'll be real quick. You won't notice it. But like, I think it would have been a more entertaining movie if they steered into it and just been like, no, we're we're going full on like straight into the pastiche of 80s stuff. Well, and, and some of the, you know, <laughs> maybe it's personal taste, but like some of the references primarily in the book, they're not just like obscure to me. Like they're just not as cool as you think. Like, like what? The like Bryce Lynch being the name for Max Headroom. Um, and some of them are almost too obscure. Like the, uh, the orb of Asavox, like the charm is from Excalibur uh, that both Merlin and Helen Mirren as Morgan Le Fay say. Uh, oh, Irock, isn't he? He's not like a weird bounty hunter. Irock is, a, he's just like some other dude they know, right? He, he's like a book. poser basically. Yeah. I, I could have done without Irock entirely in this movie. Not a big fan of TJ Miller in general. And I, I think 
that's all that's like a bunch of screen time you could have spent developing your main characters like i was not interested in like the the wordplay between irock and sorrento like i just we didn't need those scenes at all really well just the building up of the sorrento character to then also build up these manufactured like thugs that he employs Mm -hmm. i just don't think we needed it I, i feel like just the fact that he blew up the stacks and that later they like killed Dido is like enough to make you scared of this guy. You didn't need a ton of screen time for that character or Irock. But you don't have to make it so on the nose, like naming the girl finale. Yeah, that was, I don't know what the point of that was. I, I do wonder if there's like a lot of like cut scenes in this because some of the editing I felt was jarring. Yeah. Uh, the whole resistance plot kind of goes nowhere like she's well, who she's the, the leader of the rebellion and then it's like never mentioned again also how do you not have her saying people of zion yeah. she somehow messaged like h and and dido and and by the way show instead of shoto is just stupid i don't know why they didn't call him shoto it makes no sense at all uh, but dido and shoto and h are all there too it, it kind of made it seem like only people in Columbus, Ohio or in the Oasis, you know, like it didn't feel worldwide. Okay. So the thing about why it's the fastest growing city is because that's where the Oasis is headquartered and people are basically moving there to have like a faster connection, right? Yeah. Less lag into the Oasis, which sure that's fine. But like, I don't know other than just getting them all together at a certain moment. I don't know why they all needed to be in that city at once you know like obviously Dido and Chodo are Japanese they're like they live in Japan in the book and it makes sense that they do yeah I just the 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 spy craft I was like the the dude had you mentioned had to been crouching behind the chair to like jump up behind Wade it's like clearly you're new to the resistance you didn't think that maybe your fucking like uh ostentatious face tattoo would be highly noticeable <laughs> then he drones. like he goes to like the fucking farmer's market later like that's <laughs> yeah. just so weird yeah that's a real ripe apple her, her sacrificing herself for wade is just the biggest bunch of bullshit in the entire movie it's just like yeah. what no i'm sorry like she wanted it more than him like it just for her, her to suddenly be like no you're the chosen one i will stay behind like it that just what an assassination of that character she's like i was hermione all along mm. um oh here's a truly grotesque fact according to wikipedia h is based on harry knowles who is good friends of ernest klein Ew. yeah there you go Ew. i wish i didn't know that sometimes it's better not to know yeah 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 i mean i, I think h is probably sort of better by the movie than the book in the book mm-hmm. h is just like his friend and he doesn't find out her true identity until like the very end of the book and it's like just kind of awkward and feels like tokenism you know mm-hmm. um yeah her her in the shining was a lot of fun uh definitely the highlight you no know, i don't like scary movies yeah <laughs> um, I, I was like uh i was a little like uh, freaked out by just i know like we have different feelings on body mod shit but like mm. the orc steampunk thing like the missing uh lower abdomen where he just kind of like can like stretch apart yeah that was weird i was like ooh, yeah that makes me feel weird yeah i feel like they were really in love with the look of irock and how it was like his torso is a big skull with like holes in it 
but like mm. nah could have gotten rid of all that you didn't need that at all like there there are other ways for them to you like hit the plot points they needed to without i rock in the movie at all yeah yeah and no, I, just, I would agree time to bury tj miller in the sea well, I was listening to a different podcast where they're talking about how it seems like every every line of, of dialogue that he had, it was like he was getting off subject and then Sorrento would pull him back on subject. And it, like once you realize that, it gets really tiring. You know, it's like Sorrento is like he'd say something, you know, relevant. And then Iraq is like, oh, let me make this reference and get off subject. And it's like, no, 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 come back on subject. And it's just over and over and over again. Like the neck gag. Yeah, it's just, eh. Well, it made me think at first, like, is he just, like, riffing? Is he just, like, improvising in a uh, in a sound booth somewhere? Yeah, yeah, probably. I did like the bit when Sorrento's being fed lines by his team, and he's just talking about, like, drinking tab, listening to Duran Duran, playing some Robotron. Like, I think he mm. he does, like, corporate dickweed very well, uh, Mendelssohn does. <laughs> Mendelssohn, who... It should be in his contract that he never plays a good guy. Yeah, pretty much. Um, what would you think of young the... Mendelssohn there as the intern? Oh, I don't even remember. It's like the whole bit where he's like given uh, coffee. It's what they're in the with the curator, like watching old footage from. Oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's talking about like monetizing, like he could have yeah. different level, different tiers of membership. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he's just like, this is really good coffee. <laughs> I got to say, I loved and I'm not even sure if like when the scenes taking place is time accurate, but um, the wardrobe of Halliday was this very specific like 90s cool, cool tech bro look where it's like Mm -hmm. a lot of like bad neon button up shirts and stuff like it's it was hideous, but like so perfectly accurate to like 90s computer guy. Like I feel like they nailed it completely. Mm hmm. Like it's a lot of like, like these weird button up shirts that are like have like these weird like speckled neon, you know, like paint daubs all over it. And they're tucked into his jeans. Like it's just such a cheesy look. Well, like I'm looking at this picture from behind the scenes where Spielberg's talking to Simon Pegg and Rylance and Rylance is in costume. And he's wearing like a Space Invaders tee with like a weird denim jacket, like 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 acid wash denim jacket over it. And he's like laughing at whatever Spielberg's saying. And he just looks like the character so perfectly because of that fucking wardrobe. They nailed the wardrobe for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, tucked into the jeans that that just totally reminded me of the nineties. Well, it's 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 the Jerry Seinfeld look, exactly. Yeah, but with like with a dash of like computer dork added in, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he had like the the weird windbreaker he wears a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was one bit I wish they had included, which is in the in the book in his funeral video. It starts out with him dancing in. I can't remember what the reference is. He's dancing somewhere. He's listening to dancing with myself. Um, mm-hmm. But it's like it's Halliday doing all these dance moves that it's like sure that he's never done this in real life. I wish that instead of the shining sequence ending with the completely creepy like dead animated puppet thing of uh like the girl that got away like that mm-hmm. that was just fucking creepy i wish that instead it had been halliday dancing um and like she had to go dance with him or she had to like ask him out on the dance floor or something like that where like it wasn't like it, it would have been less creepy i think well you're going through his journey so it's like you as him have to yeah. ask the girl to dance i just 
it just it came off real weird to me like well the whole thing you've erased this girl's existence from the oasis except you get to dance with her like that that to me is weird like if it instead been like maybe halliday is the shining bartender and you have to ask him to dance and then he gets to go out and dance with you like i feel like that would have made more sense well on top of it for this date the girl said i would like to go dancing and he said let's go see a movie and that movie is the shining Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of apparent where they're going with the whole fucking thing where the uh, I want to say robot butler, but like the robot librarian is like, that can't be possible. She mm-hmm. has to be somewhere else in the archives. Well, how, how much time does Morrow have for every fucking Tom, Dick and Harry? I know. Does he see, only do it for that? Artemis? Yeah, I mean, I get that they wanted to like tie that in, but that was a little odd. But what was it like for you? as a reader of the book, when they kept doing the fucking like, no, you take the quarter. No, you take the quarter thing. You're just like, it's part of the plot. Take the fucking quarter. Yeah. Away. Yeah. Really? I was just like, okay, obviously he has to take it. Um, I mean, that was okay. It's probably better than him going and playing a perfect game of Pac-Man. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know how you do that in a movie without just kind of montaging over it. Mm-hmm. Um, I do. I, I oh, oh, the Pac-Man thing reminds me. One, mm-hmm. one of the other things I heard walking out of this theater was this girl who's been cheering for every moment you're supposed to cheer for turns to her friend during the during the Hollow Notes credit sequence and she's just like that was so much better than Pixels. Uh, yay. <laughs> Low bar, yeah. I do miss a little bit of the video game stuff. I mean it was that was kind of Parzival's thing in the book is that like that's his skill. That's yes he he has all like his uh his reference knowledge and whatnot, but his skill is that he is like a phenomenal early, you know, early eighties and nineties video game player. That's Mm -hmm. where that comes in. Um, Obviously it would be boring to just sit and watch him like play joust for a bunch of time, but I feel Mm -hmm. like there's a way they could have worked it in a little bit. Maybe I do miss the visual of him playing joust next to like a, a Demi Lich or whatever, like in the D and D tomb. Like, I feel like that Mm -hmm. would have been a funny visual. Yeah, yeah. Um, some of this stuff reminded me. There's an old comic book called Finder by a woman named Carla Speed McNeil, and it's like this futuristic thing where people enter these like these dream virtual reality worlds when they sleep. Um, and one of them is like there's like this recluse who like he can filter it through his subconscious, and it's like the most popular one in the world. I'm not explaining it very well, but if you've ever read this obscure comic, it it reminded me a lot of this where. I feel like, like you said, there is outside of this corner. I'm sure there's people who are innovating in the Oasis or they're like really up on like 2029 20, pop culture. It just, I feel like they should have talked more about like, this is specifically the holiday stuff. And that we're all upset. I mean, I don't with. think it would have been that hard to just, I mean, first of all, they're, they're cheating with the, uh, the narration there to begin with, you know? So it's like, it would have been real mm-hmm. easy for them to just be like, you know, we're, you know, Holiday is obsessed with the 80s, so are the Gunters, or, you know, something like that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, or just have Wade run into some dude, and he's like, who the fuck are you? And he's just like, I'm Sky Jazz Hands from this, Sky like, Jazz 2039, hands. you know, like, like sitcom or whatever. And Wade's like, I don't watch that. I don't, yeah. I don't know what that is. <laughs> uh, Sky Jazz Hands. Yeah. I do wonder, like, I think this 
this movie has like enough crowd pleasing elements that you probably don't really need to get many of the references. I'd say that no. it's in, in contrast to something like Scott Pilgrim, where like I really wonder like if you're not in a very specific age range, Scott Pilgrim is probably not a very enticing movie to you at all. Like I think this is probably has a broader appeal. Maybe that's good for the box office. I don't know if it's necessarily better for the movie. I would say this movie tells you if you're a brand newbie like audience member, you don't know anything about the story walk in this movie. I think because of that, you know, not fully necessary, but that that narration, you do get a sense. Okay, at least I know what realm all these references I'm not getting is. Mm-hmm. I could see where like you could sit down with a friend, you don't know shit about Scott Pilgrim, and you're a little bit confused when they start pulling out like video game swords and coins start bursting out of people. Like, especially if you're not a video game person, that might be really strange for you. But this is a little bit more open to like, here's at least the general realm of the thing you don't get. And yeah. I mean, like, how much how much do you have to know Chucky for his like cameo? Mm-hmm. At least they're, they're the prominent ones are used smartly. I mean, I can remember watching Sp- Scott Pilgrim in the theater. One of the few did um, with me and my friends. <laughs> and when it ended, I was like, wow, that was great. I don't know who's going to like this movie other than people pretty much really exactly like me, you know, like so much of this is going to be lost on people who aren't in my very narrow demographic. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing or bad thing, but uh, that was my reaction. I do think comparing to Scott Pilgrim, the, at least in terms of the book, the Scott Pilgrim versus Parzival like I feel like I have a lot more empathy for Parzival and that he might be like more salvageable, whereas Scott Pilgrim seems like a terrible person and it's like less, less savable. I, I guess I would say. I've watched some of the deleted scenes from the ending. How does the movie actually end? Does he end up with Ramona? Have you not seen Scott Pilgrim? Or you just yeah, but I've him? also they they have no. He does. Del- he, he ends up. He ends with her. He, there's there's ending where he ends up with knives too. That was the uh, the book ending, I know, or the graphic novel or whatever. Um, but no, in the, in the movie, he ends up with uh, Ramona. It, it's the whole, ironically, very similar to Ready Player One thing where he has the uh, the extra life, you know, where he, he learns self-respect. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was my reaction. Like, I, I really liked Scott Pilgrim movie. And it's like, the only way I can watch that movie is just acknowledging that Scott Pilgrim as a character is horrible. But like mm-hmm. everyone around him is like a really entertaining character. Whereas I feel like a character like Parzival could have grown into a place I would enjoy. Um, that's re- mm-hmm. really not addressed at all in the movie. In the book, he starts to get there and then just stops. Well, so th- the end of the book, he's like kind of like taking this like vague break from getting online. Whereas in the movie, at least there's like a, a specific system that he's set up for himself. Though I could question that system, but like, you know, there's certain goals and deadlines of how he'll value his IRL interactions. Well, the um, book ends with him like he's like, it's like spending, I, don't, I don't think I'll ever log back in or I don't feel like I ever want to log back in for a no, while. It's, or he's, like that. he's spending time with Artemis and she kisses him and it's like, oh, for the first time, and as long as he could remember, he didn't want to log back into the Oasis. And like, that's how it ends. Whereas yeah. in the movie, they're like. What did you think of that? Like the new rules they set up. It's like Tuesdays and Thursdays. I, I think no that's going to fuck their world's already precarious economy. I have so many questions. Business. I have so many questions. Yeah. About how that would affect the world economy. <laughs> I almost rather that he went and built a fucking spaceship with him and all his scientists and left the planet. 
Oh, I'm like, what would that? It's, it's like okay if if you could do it on the weekends, but then maybe the weekends would be the only time some people could enjoy themselves in the Oasis. So you don't want to take that away. Yeah. And so it's like a just arbitrarily a Tuesdays and Thursdays no Oasis time. Um, I, that that would be like world changing, you know, in, in the context of the the reality that uh, it's presented there where like all business essentially is taking place within the oasis like what would it mean to just shut that off there's too many questions about some of the the minutiae of this i mean like the fucking suits that they wear like the haptic suits mm-hmm. i would think that once you're done you have got to wash that thing like it is toxic waste i mean that is in the book he does have a spare he, he rotates them to wash them yeah okay um does, I, does he have a thing in the book where he has like a whole little like like underground like subterranean other room where he goes and does his thing because i'm like man just move in there what do you mean <laughs> underground well, like, you mean his, well, his like, trailer he, like, yeah well he like it seems like he climbs down from his trailer below all the car wreckage and he's got like another little trailer no, where he just does his trips to the oasis that's in the book he he discovered that like okay. in this pile of cars there happens to be like a van where like most of the van is not crushed and he can get inside of it and like that's his hideout yeah i'm like man just just live there. He doesn't stop sleeping on the washer. He dryer. doesn't come back all the time, but he does in the winter because it's cold. Basically, that's what it's, how it's established. Um, what was I going to say about? Yeah, just the the time off and what that would do, how that would affect society. I mean, it seems like even like some government takes place in the Oasis. Like, what does that mean? You know? Oh, this is an interesting movie for me personally to watch. After we've just talked about the circle. Because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure some government takes place in the Oasis because seemingly no one. No. I, how are there not people getting run over by cars as they're like running down the street doing Oasis shit? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that was like just that, there for that the kind visual. Of Pokemon Go thing of it yeah. all. I think I think that was just there for the visual. Yeah, um, I I did want. The, the bit where like Sorrento gets like kicked in the balls and like he feels it because he's wearing this haptic suit. I needed there to be a line from mm-hmm. Sorrento where he's just like, why the hell is this a feature or something like that? You know, like just you got to put a lampshade yeah. on that and be like, who the hell thought this was a good idea? <laughs> oh, I love his like his goofy version of that that he puts on over his suit. Mm-hmm. This like fencing outfit almost. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, like, yeah, like, like, Percival is going to have to wash the fuck out of his thing after, like, uh, Artemis is like, oh, is this like the upgraded model? And she starts, like, caressing him. Yeah. I don't know if you notice it on your watch, but, like, his face, like, his avatar's face during those scenes starts to get pretty funny. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, it's the the jizz in my pants moment from uh, this, like, SNL sketch, you know? I hope, I hope the script direction actually says Avatar O-Face. Yeah. Yeah, that scene was more sexual than I was expecting. Yeah. I mean, the whole did you come prepared thing. Um, <laughs> interesting addition. But I mean, I yeah, well, I guess I mean, in the movie, what are we to what are we uh, to interpret? That, yeah. Like is well, it, it is she like seducing she him? The fires. Yeah, is she like seducing him to get him to join the resistance like does she have an ulterior motive there but then she freaks out when he like declares his love like what's going on there well at the same time though she's allowed to hit the brakes no no yeah totally but I just 
it was just it was like what was your plan artemis like does she actually like him or is there you said she's trying to you know take him into the matrix i mean the book it wasn't like like in the movie it's like two days later you know is when they uh they go to like the distracted globe whereas in the book it's been like months of them like they start out emailing then they're emailing more and then they're in chat sessions and they're hanging out all the time in the oasis it's like something does develop there it's like they've like spent a couple months together getting closer it isn't like he just out of nowhere decides he's in love you know Mm -hmm. well there's also the uh what was the what's the passage here i felt like i've been punched in the throat are you breaking up with me Mm -hmm. no z she said firmly i am not breaking up with you that would be impossible because we are not together there was a sudden venom in her voice we've never even met yeah, I mean, I th- I think the book really tries to establish this idea that like Artemis maintains a kind of mental division between the Oasis and the real world. And like, that's mm-hmm. where she's drawing the line there. But like, how could you love me? You've never met me because she doesn't consider the Oasis meeting someone like real, you know, and like she has that line, you know, you live, you don't live in the real world. I don't think you ever have. Whereas like they, they use that line in the movie, but like. It, the scene plays differently because it's like, why do you guys like just met? You know? Yeah. But it's, it's a good lesson to remind people that, you know, maybe you're listening to a podcast and you chuckle along with something somebody says and you like their points frequently or what have you. It's not like you actually know them, you know, or because people like the same movie and the same movie and we're all wearing the same t-shirt. It's, that's great. That maybe that's a conversation, but it's not like you actually really know them. No, but I mean, I do think it's communicated a lot differently in the book. Like, like I said, they've been hanging out together for months. Like, she takes him to like a Rocky yeah. Horror Picture Show thing. She kisses him. Like, it's it's not like she's not interested and he's been getting the wrong idea or something. Um, it's like she just mm-hmm. has like a clearer dividing line, I think, between you know her her kind of pretend and the reality of things. And he's, mm-hmm. he, they've both been getting distracted and not focusing on the egg hunt because they've been, you know, baking eyes at each other, basically. Uh, I posted this picture from the movie. And I, I love this picture because here she is, of course, standing above him, looking down at him, you know, wielding the power there. And it's hilarious to me only because she's got her like vest on and she's lifting up her goggles. And of course, she's got her fucking Joy Division shirt on <laughs> underneath the vest. Uh, all right well uh shall we do or make one change or do you have any more thoughts uh no i mean there's just it's it's like a lot of these movies especially covered on headcanon where it does a very good job of world building and you're able to live in this world for a while but there are some questions that if you start to pull at them like jenga the whole thing falls apart not as bad as like say divergent but Little just, things are worth like conversation with your friends about if you shut down the biggest business in the world for two days out of the week, how does that, how does that affect the world? Yeah. I just, I don't know. I wish they could have tried to get a little bit deeper into the material. Like the, the book, like I said, is by, by no means a perfect or maybe even like, like good book, but I feel like it's the sort of material I could do like an hour long podcast on every chapter of just because I feel like, there's a lot to discuss there, you know, accidentally or not. Ernest Klein has like kind of stumbled upon a lot of rich ground for discussion. Mm. Um, whereas I feel like the movie just doesn't have 
that kind of, uh, I don't know, texture to it where you can really get into it. Like it's just very surface level. Let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. Would you rather do a whole podcast where you went into each, each episode is a chapter from this book or a podcast where each chapter, each episode is a chapter from uh, like the Baroque cycle. Oh gosh. Um, I, so you're talking about the Baroque cycle by Neil Stevenson. I love those books. I think it would be a better podcast if you're talking about the ready player one book, which isn't to say that I think ready player one is a book is better than the Baroque cycle. I don't want to give that impression to me. It's like, there's something about this book. It's it's in that sweet spot where there's things to enjoy about it and a lot to critique about it, where I would have a lot to say. Whereas the Baroque cycle, I would just be like, just read the book, you know, and if, if that's your thing, you'll like it. Neil Stevenson's definitely an acquired taste, but I don't know if I'd have that much to say about it other than like, oh, yeah, I like that. And I like this, you know. Hmm. Mm. Uh, so stay tuned if we do a Ready Player One podcast. <laughs> I don't think most of our demographic would be into that. Um, sad to say. I could talk I don't about know it a who lot, our demo- that's for sure. I don't know who our demographic is anymore. Yeah. But I mean, I, I, it's not quite PLL, but it is in that range, I feel like, where like I'd have a lot to say, and I I think maybe it hasn't been as picked apart as it could be. You know, like there's there's fun conversations to have about things the book brings up. Like one thing that I thought about while reading the book and watching the movie, but they never really touch on is like, you know, it's, it's a common theory. Like it's popular these days among people like Elon Musk that uh, we're all just living a simulation, you know? And you have, you wonder like Mm. how, if the reality of ready player one were to continue, could that become eventually just a simulation? You know, like, is that how we would arrive in such a simulation? Hmm. Like if, if they created artificial intelligence that was good enough to function autonomously within the Oasis, could that eventually become a whole universe that's unaware that it's not real? Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, let's play that hologram out to its furthest conclusion. Mm-hmm. All right. Make one change? Yeah. Um. Stuff with the relationship, but I would I would have liked to have done more to I would have started my first choice change would have been to do stuff with connecting why is Wade connected to Halliday or what what about this guy speaks to him, you know, and I don't want to get too much in like Wade's backstory, but stuff like that. And I think from there that would give me an opportunity to like wave through a script of like more changes. So that's where I would start, I think. Because that's that that becomes important, like right at the top of the story. I have like a million changes I want to make. Yeah, I'll I'll try to stick to at least a narrow focus. Um, definitely the main relationship. If I could cheat a little and offer just a few changes, I would make. Um, I think if you're gonna have narrators, you should have dual narrators. Mm-hmm. I want to hear Artemis' side of this um, rather than just Parzival's. I feel like especially in the structure of the story that's being told, there's times when she can come in and there's times when Artemis can come in or I'm sorry, Parswell can come in. Um, and I think that would allow you to have lots of Olivia cook in the movie without them meeting each other. Because I do think that they shouldn't meet until the end of the movie. I think that works. I don't know. Dramatically, I guess you would say um, like that 
you know, they're developing a relationship and then she cuts him off and like, she doesn't talk to him for the rest of the book, basically barely at all till the very end. I think that works as like an opportunity for him to kind of like gain some self-respect. And it, I don't think it works well in the movie that like he meets her like 10 minutes later. Um, and the yeah. last change I would make along that spectrum is that uh, the moment in the movie where he shoots her avatar and kills her feels so weird and dissonant to me. Like I had no idea why that's in the movie. It's so it, it's almost offensive in that he is like taking this choice away from her. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it just it feels so wrong. Yeah. You're, you're like, no, that that that's not why are you putting that in the movie? Like to me, the only way that makes sense if if Parzival is your main character, he should have that done to him. He shouldn't do it to anyone else. If she did that to him because she was like, you need to, you know, like you're going to die. Like you need to like, you know, remember the real world or something like that. And she takes him out of the game. That makes sense mm-hmm. to me for the other way around. And then he could use his extra life, obviously for to do it the other way around. It felt really weird and like tone deaf to me. I was like, why the fuck was that in the movie? Yeah, it's it's and it's not even because they don't want to go into some of the stuff in the relationship in the book. So it's not even like he's eliminating the idealized version of her and his brain to accept the real her. It's no, like, there's yeah, nothing it's to do just with that. this. It's I'm yeah, it's nothing to do with that. The patriarchy is descending to protect you. I've made this decision for you. Yeah. By by wiping you out, by mm-hmm. taking you out of this place where you thrive. Yeah. It was just it was like, what the fuck? Like I can't believe they that made it into the movie. It's such a weird story beat to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be some of my changes. I would make a hell of a lot of changes to this movie if I was writing the script, but that's that's just some of it. Mm-hmm. All right, let's do power rankings. Yeah. Yeah. I got 10. I also have 10. Uh, I guess I'll start. My number 10 is I rock. Yeah, me as well. <laughs> it's the lowest I could put him. It's not that, like I didn't chuckle at some of his lines. The voila just, line is okay. Yeah, it's. Yeah. You know, and I chuckled the first thing where he's talking about, like, I got this neck thing. Could you stand over here? Like, I whatever. It's TJ Miller's whole affect. Like, and the thing about TJ Miller is. You know, I started my time of his career not liking him and then warming to him. And now I'm back at not liking him because he's a very problematic entity. But uh, he just takes you out of this story so hard. And this is a story that's nothing but things that take you out of it. But like, really, his, his, he's almost useless in some regards. Definitely, yeah. Uh, number nine, I had Finale. <laughs> I don't know. Yep. Why, I don't know why the characters in the movie. It's just I'm not sure what the point of it is. Um, I think just to add real world stakes. Like I, I get. I mean, whatever. It's a movie. You're trying to explain this. It's like absolutely. We need to be having this quest in the oasis happening in the back of like a van chase. Whatever. Yeah. Um, I just just thinking of something. I can't think of it now, but continue what do you have number nine number eight i have uh i have simon peg um no nine i enjoyed ogden morrow i, I number uh, my nine was finale you're now in too okay okay and he had ogden that's eight. I, okay that's why i said me too okay yeah so uh 
I would have loved more of this character. I, I obviously the book has quite a bit more, uh, and his his character makes more sense in the book because kind of like Wozniak, it's like he has a status in the Oasis that is like concrete, mm-hmm. despite his like not being involved as much. Um, and in general, I'm kind of surprised the internet hasn't like ordained Simon Pegg as some kind of like nerd clergyman or whatever because he's getting there. He just seems to. He seems to be like one of those figures that's still like unimpeachably liked by the majority of people. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I have two thoughts on that. Number one, um, I was just the, the thing I was thinking of Letitia Wright is in this movie, like in the background and like a couple shots, apparently like I remember we were talking about this a few weeks ago and you're like, Oh yeah, she's in that movie. And I was like, as who apparently as no one, uh, she's like a random extra. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That seems like a missed opportunity. Um, the other thing I just want to mention, I know a lot of people who enjoyed Ready Player One came to it through the Will Wheaton audiobook. Are you among no, those I people? I, you know, I, I hate no, Will no. Wheaton too. Yeah. I am I am holding my physical book in my hand. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I was just curious about that. I know it's like that's a popular thing. It's like, oh, you gotta listen to the audiobook. Will Wheaton's great. No, thank you. No, uh, Will Wheaton's entire presence is chemical castration to me. So if we could that might uh, be a little excessive, but yeah, if Simon Pegg could perhaps take his place and like, you know, the, the geek <sighs> Simon mark, Pegg yeah. has a great voice for audiobooks. 100% I would love, I would, I would love an audiobook or when they do like a ready player two, which I guess he's working on the sequel. That's all about Artemis. I would love if you don't have Olivia cook to have, Simon Pegg. Um, and I'm just cracking be. up because I'm thinking about the fact that, that we watched World's End. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what that would be. And in, in, like, would it be after they won the contest, like an Artemis focus thing? I guess it would have to be, right? I, mean, I don't know what, what it would be otherwise. Quite frankly, Artemis is so interesting. I think it could be any, any point. It could be like the prequel, it could be a sequel, it could be both. That's, that's why I would love dual narrators and like, the cool thing like the movie or I'm sorry the book is all first person so it's like all parts of all's perspective but like a movie doesn't have to be that way so you could see this is how Artemis found the the Jade Key first like that kind of thing like you don't have to stick with parts the whole time like I would yeah. love more of that uh, who's your number eight my number eight is also Ogden Morrow uh, I think we've covered that pretty well yeah has ours been exactly yeah. the same so far I think it has so far. Yeah. What do you got? Um, this is probably, this is probably where it changes. Uh, I'm going to go with the actors names to talk about the characters. My number seven is a tie between the actors names are Philip Zhao and Win Morisaki as Dido and Shoto. Mm. Uh, they're like, they get the least amount of attention of the high five. They get more than the book. I'll I, give I, them that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like them. They were interesting presences and it was nice to see, slightly different culture of pop culture kind of Mm -hmm. inflecting this without it being like a bunch of anime that I can't stand. So yeah, I had Dido at number seven and Shoto at number six. Um, I'm calling him Shoto, (laughs) not show. Okay. Uh, I feel like Shoto gets a few more fun lines. there. It's like the 11 year old, you know, doesn't want to hug and then just don't hug. Like he's, Mm. he's having a little bit more fun than uh, Dido. Um, the bit with Dido where he, like he's not doing anything, he's not in the fight at the end. 
-hmm. understand why he's not wearing the visor because they want to show that his eyes are closed or whatever, but that would have made so much more sense if they had communicated earlier that like the only way to activate your like uh your Gundam robot is that like your character can't move for three minutes or something like that. You know, like that it would have made they needed to establish that a little bit rather than just like he's just like he's just decided to zen out in the middle of the fight for however long yeah. before he finally puts his visor on. Yeah. Nice little firefly uh, right. So Yeah. Which is interesting because you got Firefly, which you don't have Millennium Falcon, and yet Millennium Falcon made its way into the Lego movie of all things. Which Lego movie is like the precursor to like doing this kind of licensed, like multi licensed. Who frames Roger Rabbit? Yeah, okay. There's that too. Uh, you know, obviously these are all much more ambitious crossovers than Infinity War. Um, I, I do so wonder. Six, I, I wonder what the resistance on some of these licenses was. Was it that they only wanted a small part, or they couldn't get away with a bigger reference? You know, like what was the? Well, the some thing? of them make sense. Like obviously, whatever studio wasn't going to allow Blade Runner just because it's so close to twenty forty nine. Sure. Yeah, I get that. I don't. I didn't see a ton of Nintendo in there if at all so maybe that was another thing where nintendo was just like nah oh like like no mario or koopas yeah yeah i think sonic um, is in there somewhere uh where are we at what's your number six my number six let's see where we are my number six is nolan sorrento played by ben Mendelssohn. Mm-hmm. um you know I, I in general i am not excited when i hear ben Mendelssohn is going to be in a movie i think he's been fine as the the villain that he's been in several movies he is a villain i i'm convinced that he's so good at that he's because he is a bad person in real life um and i kind of think that as much as i don't like him he is kind of perfect in this movie because he's he is every bad guy that tim matheson or the principal from breakfast club has ever played but like struggling to talk over an australian accent do you feel in charge (laughs) exactly exactly who knew after that movie that we'd just be getting more and more mendelson as this kind of he always seems to play a bad guy who's somewhat restrained by his position, I guess. Yeah. Like the whole, the whole narrative. I'm arc, not in charge, my friend. Yeah. The whole narrative arc with him, like they, they kind of set up this thing where at first, like she's like, you want to do it then do it yourself or whatever. And she like, like tries to hand him a gun and he like rejects it. And then later on, he's like, give me that gun. Like that didn't need to be in the movie at all. Like, I know what they're going for. There is like, Oh, he's, he's crossing the line. Now he's taking the gun. He's going to do it himself. You could have cut that entirely. You yeah. don't need it all. Yeah. Well, he's he's an actor who's got a move too. Like when he's committing to something evil, he does like the mm-hmm. like he really does that. Uh yeah, he's he's my number five. He's fine. I think I guess I wonder, did they write a bunch more scenes for him because they wanted to give Ben Mendelssohn something to do? Or did they just think that that the villain of the movie needed more to do in general? I think he could have gotten away with a lot less of him. I wasn't a huge fan yeah. of his weird, like bizarro Superman avatar too. Like, um, I, I want to <laughs> say in the book, his avatar just looks like him, like like the real him. Which is interesting because to me that almost screams like a certain level of confidence in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, number, number five is Ty Sheridan as Wade Wade slash Parzival. See now I'm looking at this and thinking like, did I like oh. did I forget someone? Or do I not have somebody in my top four that uh, you have? I don't know. We'll see. 
Oh, I cheated. Okay. My neck bones, so don't feel bad. Um, Ty Sheridan is a weird. He looks funny to me. <laughs> like he looks like uh, like a not fully cooked clone at times from certain angles of young Harrison Ford. Um, and other times, I, I don't know what I'm looking at. I haven't seen that X-Men movie where he plays like a Cyclops. Completely forget about Cyclops, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I, and I kind of feel like I will remember this movie. I will not necessarily remember its main character. I feel like I remember based- parts of all more than Wade in this movie. Yeah, and it's 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 not that he's doing bad work whatsoever. He's doing exactly what's required of him. Uh, but there was just something about his certain his voice and his level of enthusiasm that I just thought, man, this could have been like Shia LaBeouf ten years ago. Thank God it wasn't. Yeah, I've got him at four. We've essentially matched entirely so far, except you had Dido and Chodo together. Um, yeah, Barswell number four. He's fine. I didn't hate him. I just feel like he's the real surface. Um, the the parts of all the way that Watts in the book, I empathize with more. Like as big of a tool as he was at time, it, it was also like, yes, yeah, this, this is like a, a teenager who's had a horrible life and has like been neglected entirely, and is like his entire worldview is shaped by eighties popular culture. Like I feel like I know where this kid's coming from in a way that. Parts of all, I didn't get that as much with uh, in the movie. Hmm. Can I just say that I can't believe we've actually managed to talk this long about this movie? I really didn't think we'd be able to. Yeah, I think so. Uh, no, my number four we can talk a is lot. we we can. Uh, this is where I this is where I cheat and I get become a, the cheeky dick hole that is I it, am. Is it the uh, Oasis? Number, no. Okay. No, that because the Oasis is a metaphor for sure. what, movies, culture, whatever. But no, the internet equally cheap. My number four is Steven Spielberg in the entire 1980s. <laughs> That's I mean, this is this is like if you if you were like, oh man, who could you pick? Who could you pick being like Ready Player One's a director? And I'd be like, oh maybe Spielberg. Haha, <laughs> you're never gonna get him. Um, this this movie wouldn't exist if it wasn't for him. I don't remember how much he's actually referenced in the book. It's not a ton compared to per capita all the fucking references, but like, I just feel like there's. I mean, he's a guy who owns like at least one fourth of our culture from the eighties. Right. I mean, yeah. Producing. Yeah. And- so just it's, even if he's doing this kind of watered down version of himself, you know, it's, it's perfect. It's Spielberg. I love it. That definitely reminds me. There's like this, there's this moment in the book that's both cringy and very telling where I, I think he's listing off uh, like authors, like all the, all the, the, the canonical masters of like genre fiction or whatever. It's all dudes, like all dudes, you know, and it's like it's so uncomfortable. And at the same time, you're like, yeah, in the 80s, that probably, you know, that that's not inaccurate, unfortunately. You know? Well, yeah, it's not like Wade Watts is reading like Kathy Acker or anything. Yeah, he's not reading uh, like Ursula Le Guin or Margaret Atwood or anything. You know, he should have been. But yeah, like. I mean, I, that to me is a lot of the, the problematic elements of the book. It's like there's a reason for it to be focused on that narrow band of culture, but like it's pretty exclusionary to everyone else except white dudes. I was gonna, I was gonna quip that Wade Watts is the the dude from what is that book? Left Hand of Darkness, but that's not really true. It's no. just a reactionary yeah. joke. Uh, anyway. My number three. What's your number three? I wonder if we have the same number three. I feel like our list is going to be entirely the same, except for your like little cheat there. 
Uh, my number three is H. Mm-hmm. Is, yep. 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 Yeah. Age was great. Um, the shining scene definitely shined in. Ooh, that's a bad pun. Um, yeah, H H was fun. Is it Lena Waith? I think is her name. Mm. Yep. Uh, she was great. The only thing I didn't like about her in the entire movie is there's just like this weird bit where at the end she admits that she was the one who like called the cops or whatever, and she gets out and she she mm. smiles as she closes the door and as she smiles there's like, there's weird little like ding on the soundtrack that like. It's just so weird. Yeah. I don't know why that's there. Um, other than that, well, she like she's going in the fucking elevator. Yeah. yeah, it's very weird. Um, well, it's like it was like a Mickey it's like Mouse somehow type Lena moment. Waif doesn't. Yeah. yeah, it's like somehow like Helen doesn't get as much of the screen time as H does. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I I liked her presence. Um, I guess I was hoped that like twenty forty five would be a little bit cooler, so he wouldn't have been like so stunned when he runs into her in the alleyway. Because it's like, how many fucking conversations have they had? Like the one that they had like 45 minutes earlier in the movie where she's just like, for all you know, I could be a girl. <laughs> but yeah, she's fantastic. Yeah, she was a lot of fun in the movie. Um, who do you have for number two? I have Artemis. I have Olivia Cook as Artemis. Really? Okay. Yeah, this is uh, my last two. It was It was a real stretch. I think... I think Olivia Cook is an incredibly watchable, dynamic, interesting presence, and she's like a little more hardcore Arya. But um, hardcore Arya, I, as if somebody couldn't, as if Arya wasn't hardcore already. Oh, I would love to see Lucy Hale in this movie. That'd be amazing. Uh, I want to see what happens to Lucy Hale when they most likely cancel <laughs> life sentence. But uh, I, yeah. I, don't yeah, think, I'm, I'm well, the movie is so mean. That's but I'm just waiting for the death sentence joke. I mean, somebody make that. Yeah, but I mean, it's hard to watch them like try to be upbeat about the move to Fridays. Yeah, fingers crossed, fingers crossed for them. But like, uh, yeah, I I feel like the it, you know it's not it's not Artemis's movie and it should be. And if this was like an ongoing series, I could see where like you know like Hermione gets more opportunities to shine and what have you. But um, this her her performance, much like the character in the book, it's like why there should be a sequel centered around them, or like you said, dual narrators. But yeah, it was tough, but but I put it at number two. Yeah, I have Halliday at number two. Um, I really like this is mostly just for Mark Rylance's performance. Halliday as a character, there's a lot of I have a lot of issues there. Um, especially the whole thing, like erasing his, you know, crush from the oasis yeah. and like and making her dance like you're you know she's dead but he like programmed a version of her that's like stuck uh, that just felt that really weird um but as a Dancing performance yeah as a performance i thought it was really good um even though it i feel like it never really never really kind of completely nailed an idea that it was going for like what exactly you know i feel like it was a little more coherent in the book as to what halliday was trying to communicate and how like he was like filled with a lot of regret Whereas in the movie, I don't mm-hmm. think they quite got there in the same way. Anyway, that's my uh, number And that's why, obviously, Holiday slash Anorak is my number one. It's it's all Mark Rylance's performance. And considering how like bonkers the whole setup, the whole like Easter egg hunt of this movie is, he his performance and the life that he brings to the sad little character 
like is what holds it together and, and makes it feel warm and you can kind of relate to and feel bad for him and be happy at the same time at the end. It's it's all Mark Rylance and he gets more to do in a way that I feel like Artemis didn't. So that's why he's my number one. Yeah. Artemis is my number one. Um, what can I say? I'm a, I'm a sucker for Olivia cook. I thought she was just delightful in this movie. I, man, I wanted more. I, w- I wish there was more of a character. I really, I miss her initial meeting with uh, Parzival in the book. I thought it was like a really fun meet cute where like Parzival's just like won the key and she doesn't realize it yet. Um, that's like a really mm-hmm. funny scene. And I, I don't know. I, I feel like Olivia Cook could have nailed that, like her kind of interplay with him there. Um, and I, mm-hmm. I, I wish they could have like the, the fun thing about that is that like Parzival, he thinks he's like, he's, solve this clue he's the first one to do this and he you know he he's better at joust and so he wins the key first but she'd been there for like five weeks like i i miss that idea that like he he thinks he's smart she's smarter she solved that clue first she solved the jade key clue first like she's you know not second banana to parzival at all like which is why i felt like it was such a betrayal of a character and she's like you're gonna win you understand him like she would never say that Anyway, uh, yeah. Ilya Cook still is great. I found the animation of Artemis to be pretty amazing. I mean, I feel like they really put a lot of like real humanity into like an entirely CG performance. You know, like mm-hmm. when like the kind of awkward look she gets on her face when she asks the uh, the was it Karen to dance. Like she has, I don't know, it's like really great expressions and whatnot for a digital character. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's not that I think anyone's going to say, oh, these are Oscar-winning performances, but I mm-hmm. want to retread of that thing every time Andy Serkis does a mocap performance. Yeah, we're like, Andy why, Serkis. Yeah. why can't he get nominated? Yeah, I, and I, I, there's just something that's so Olivia Cook that shines through that, and it's not Olivia Cook. And it's not the first time I've seen that, because I, I tend to not identify with that as much in these movies, but, you know, I would make the argument that even like Beowulf, you know, the CGI characters with the extensive mocap really work, but she she just shines in this movie, like much like the shining sequence. It really feels like she's about to blow up. Mm. And I love that that thoroughbreds could come out right before this. Yeah. Very different performance. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, would you recommend this movie? I, I would. I go with some friends, see it in the theater if you can. Um, if you have to wait and see it at home, you know, try to watch it in the the best possible home theater, watch it with some friends. Just it's, it's, it's perfect popcorn cinema, Hmm, you know, and you have something to talk about afterwards. I'm not sure. I guess it depends. Um, I know friend of the pod, Crystal went to see this movie and like absolutely despised it. She's like traumatized by how much she hated it. So I guess it depends on what your kind of proclivities are. Um, Mm if uh kind of 80s nostalgia and pop culture references and spielberg if none of those things are interesting to you maybe don't see it um yeah. you know i think it depends on your tastes as to whether or not you'll get some enjoyment out of it if you like if you like just big blockbuster type movies you'll probably like this movie uh, if you don't if that's not your thing then probably don't unless you have like a movie pass that's kind of the exclusion thing that i fear with some of the stuff but i would think you know does a trailer entice you at all? Because if it does, and hopefully, presumably, you know that something along these lines is going to be the movie for you. 
Um, but then again, everyone wants to play where everyone else plays, right? Everybody wants to rule the world. Mm-hmm. Take on me. I still can't believe they didn't get that song in the movie. I had been thinking for several weeks in the past about how, not specific to Ready Player One, but just in general, like, I, I think I'd been listening to that song a lot and been like, man, there's like, this is the perfect song for an action sequence, you know, like, or, or like mm-hmm. some sort of like visual step piece. Take on me is a fantastic song. And I was like, oh, they're going to do it in ready player one. It's going to be awesome. And they just didn't. Are you going to go cut like a video to, to take on me? I did. Uh, I did do a throne room last Jedi fight scene version of that. It's okay. Hmm. Anyway. What are we going to talk about next week? Uh, I don't know. What strikes your fancy? Man, I had no idea. Um, I, uh, I feel like there's some I mentioned to a friend stuff. today that I had seen. Oh, I mentioned to a friend today that I I saw that, that fucking Jumanji sequel yesterday. I, and I, I uh, talk about that. he starts immediately. Oh, he starts immediately going into like the Jumanji verse to me and Zathura. Oh, fuck I, off. Yeah, I was just like, you've got to stop. <laughs> I don't know that much about children's reading. Uh, is it a book yeah, so originally? Talking, yeah, it was a children's picture book. Oh, whatever. It's a third is the sequel. Oh, God. What do I want to talk about? I feel like, how about, this jumps out at me. How about the fifth wave? That's the Chloe Moretz. Chloe Moretz uh, attempt at a YA franchise. Is this going to be uh shit, what was the was this gonna be like I am number four levels of entertaining? I don't know. I haven't seen it. So okay. I, I, I don't know what we're going okay. to get with it, but I, I saw the trailer a lot and it seemed like they were trying to set this up as like a big you know, like the next like divergent or something. Mm-hmm. Which Poor by the way, much. can I can I totally go off topic for a moment? Um have you seen the Oceans Eight trailer? Mm-hmm. What did we you talk about this? I think have we on the pod? I don't I think we've talked so. about it on the eh. pod. Eh. I just I, I I'm not opposed to the concept. I feel like the cast they've assembled is kind of boring. It seems weird to me that they're so marking along the lines of like even the power structure of the other the remakes. Like you have Kate Blanchett like doing the Brad Pitt. It seems I know I know it's called Ocean's A, but it just seems weird to me that that she's the brother of Danny Ocean. Like, does she need to yeah, be? I think you mean she's a sister, but yeah. Well, <laughs> it's like yeah, sister of Danny Ocean. It's late. Um, mm-hmm. whatever. I uh, I mean, what is the what is how much is the percentage that George Clooney has a cameo in this movie? Is it like ninety seven percent? I just find it strange. Like, you're gonna do. This theoretically the movie where it's like, let's go get the big stars, right? And it's like the big female stars are like Sandra Bullock, Helena Bonham Carter, Aquafina. Like, I'm just like, what? Like the cast, I'm just not there for it. Like, I, I feel like this was like you gotta go get like J Law and Emma Stone and Lupita Nyongo. You need like young hot like stars, you know? Mm. I don't know. Yeah, that's not this movie. No, no, indeed. And I just the presence of uh, what's her face, uh, Kristen Wiig, just I don't know. It, it kind of feels like instead of getting the biggest stars, they went with like who they could afford or something instead. Uh, Kristen Wiig, 
Isn't Kristen Wiig in that? Sarah Paulson? That's not Sarah Paulson, is it? As the like the mom? Mm-hmm. That's Sarah Paulson? Mm-hmm. Are you sure? That mm-hmm. totally looked like Kristen Wiig. Hmm. You disagree? Do I disagree that Sarah Paulson looked like Kristen Wiig? In that trailer, bit. yeah. You disagree. Hmm. Okay. Uh, My mind is I, I I'm sure that if Sarah that Paulson said Wig. no, it would have... Or Sarah Paulson's even Kristen worse. Yeah. I would... Uh, I don't know if it's a popular opinion, but I would totally agree with that. Hmm. I would that, have that blows my like mind the, that that is not Kristen Wiig. That looks exactly like Kristen Wiig in the trailer. I, you know, hey, pick up the phone and call Sarah Paulson's people. Tell her to get on that. Mm-hmm. Tell her to get Ryan Murphy out of her business and <laughs> get rid of that Kristen Wiigness. I mean, I would have loved to see like the younger version of this, where it's like Anna Kendrick is what's Anna her name? Kendrick. Debbie Ocean. Yeah, I just, I don't know. We need the big female stars of Hollywood. Who do you got? Uh, I got Sarah Paulson. Okay. Well, like, I guess I'm, I don't know. It's funny to me, just Anne Hathaway as, like, the villain. Like, in another world, she would have been the star, right? Yeah, I don't know. Women hate Anne Hathaway, so maybe that's part of it. Why is that? Also, James Corden. I don't need him in a movie. That's what I mean. It feels like low rent. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. um, Fifth way. Oh, Matt Damon's in the movie. Great. As, uh, Cheers. As the dude from... Ocean's Eleven. As Linus Caldwell, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hurrah. Matt Damon, having a good year. Yeah, He's an unsane, too. Sorry, spoiler. Oh, my God, is he? <laughs> yeah, of course he is. Is it a better he's, or worse cameo guy. than the Thor cameo? Or uh, uh, the Interstellar cameo? It's it's obviously it's worse than the Thor cameo. That's his best role ever. That, that, Matt Damon is like, he is a good cameo guy. I mean, like, do you remember that Scotty shitty Euro know. trip movie? Scotty yeah. doesn't know, yeah. He's so trusting. Um, I still can't believe that's not Kristen Wiig. That's, I, I need to take a long walk now. Mm-hmm. It's a new kind of butter. It's the, I can't believe it's not Kristen Wiig. Mm-hmm. Well, thank God Isn't they got the, Sarah Paulson in the, in, uh, the next Wonder Woman movie. That's Cheetah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know about that. I think this we've reached the ending here. I think so. Until then, have a good one. Game over.